the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 144, and I am your host, Helena Levin. Joining me today, my co-host, Pontus Bokman. Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Hello, Jelena! And, and then there were two... And Again. then there were two, so it's, uh, you oh, know... It's not, it's not diff- it's <laughs> different, know, too. Never know what to expect here, but uh, good to have you back, Jena. Good to be we back. We were so sad you couldn't be there at QED. Uh, well, so I have to say, I have listened to the episode, I really enjoyed it. It sounded like you had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun, I believe, I hope, that uh, the audience had a lot of fun. It seemed like that at the time, so... It was very yeah. interactive, I have to say. It was very interactive. I approve of the bribing, the food and the alcohol. That was great touch. Yeah. That's, yes. that's how we're going to expand our audience. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hard to do on a regular show. It, yeah, you know, right? it's, if it's live, you can do it. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but I continue to, to meet Andras without you uh, because I just <laughs> yes. got back last night from, from Budapest where uh, me and my family or part of my family w- was there to just on a vacation for a couple of well, four days, because this week, as we're recording it, the last week of October, is free for the schools. Excellent. So we took a few uh, days off, my wife and myself, and took Leo, our youngest, to go to um, Budapest just to see mm. that city. Yeah, it's a beautiful city. I've been there. I, I really want to take Brad one day, but uh, we haven't yeah. managed if you do, make sure to book Andras as your guide. <laughs> of course, he is no no bullshit tour guide or something. Yeah, the, the, the skeptical guide. Skeptical right? guide to the Budapest, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Actually, he took us to his uh, the, the city where he lives uh, called Sekasvehervar. Bless you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I nailed that. And uh, he gave us a wonderful tour. It was, well, too much to go into, but it was very, we had a great time. And Budapest as well is, is a, it's a lovely city. Uh, it's a big city, actually. Very, yes, it's rather For, large. Yeah. yeah Feels one, quite spacious. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was good. That was fine. Brilliant. Okay. The only thing that went wrong was when we went home last night, our plane was delayed a couple of hours. So we, it was already scheduled to be a late flight, but we didn't get home until three o'clock this morning. So, yeah, what did you do? So you've got some catching up on your sleep to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So today was, will be a regular episode. We haven't had a regular episode for ages and ages. It's been a while, yes. After all the excitement and interviews and all, all wonderful things. Yeah. Um, so we'll pick up on a couple of the it- news items um, that circulating the nets. The great net. The nets of Inter, yes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think we should just crack on with it. What yeah. do you think? Okay, so um, I do apologize, Pontus, for this coverage of the on this day, this what, time what? around. Only because it's to do with the Vatican. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, I don't have a monopoly on the Vatican. You, you're I feel very somet- well. <laughs> I feel sometimes that you do, but... Um, no, no, no. No, yeah. no, no. Okay. I want to talk about something that happened in, at the end of October of 1992, so 31st of October, and mm-hmm. Vatican admitted that Galileo was right. 
Imagine that. Hundreds of years later, <laughs> after his death. Um, no, so, in, so what happened originally? In 1633, the Inquisition of the Roman Catholic Church forced Galileo Galilei, uh, one of the founders of modern science, to recant his theory that the Earth moves around the sun. Hmm. Under the threat of torture, Galileo, seen facing his in- inquisitors, recanted. But yeah. as, as he left the courtroom, he is said to have muttered, all the same, it moves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's if true, that was but a tr- it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a good story anyway. It's hard to prove anything since... You know, since if, since if the Inquisition came to torture me, I yeah. would tell them everything they yeah. wanted to hear, you know. Yeah. <sighs> so then in uh, back in 1992, uh, they finally uh, agreed... So at the ceremony in Rome, before the Pontifical Academy of Science, Pope John Paul II officially declared that Galileo was right. Hooray! Uh, the formal uh, rehabilitation was based on the findings of the committee of the academy the Pope set up in 1979, soon after taking the office. And the committee decided the Inquisition had acted in good faith. No pun intended, I'm assuming, but was wrong. In fact, the, the Inquisition's verdict was uncannily similar to cautious statements by modern officialdom on more recent scientific conclusions, such as predictions about greenhouse warming. Um, the Inquisition ruled that Galileo could not prove beyond doubt that the Earth orbits the Sun, so they could not reinterpret scripture implying otherwise. Mm. So the verdict was not one to which the doctrine of papal infallibility applied, and the Vatican was never comfortable with it. The Pope Urban approved it, but commuted Galileo's sentence from prison uh, to house arrest. In fact, he he died uh, under the house arrest in the, in the end, did Galileo. Yeah. Um, but the Galileo affair still embraced the church, which now maintains an astronomically astronomical observatory at the Pope's summer palace at Castle Gandolfo. Mm. So there we go. I, I feel like I kind of have done... A version of really wrong, but on this, <laughs> but really wrong on this day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in 359 years from now, you will be able to tell that they finally changed their position on abortion and contraception. So it takes a while for, I wouldn't for the hold Catholic my, Church. I wouldn't hold my breath, but yeah. Uh, 359 years is a long time to admit that they were wrong. So, but yeah. okay. But so th- <laughs> there we go. Okay. That was interesting. Thank you. Excellent. All right. So I think we're going to now talk, talk about Vatican a bit more, aren't we, Pontus? Oh, yes. About oh, yes. How, oh. how Pop was very wrong. Always, always. <laughs> always wrong. <laughs> oh, the Pope. Poor Pope be what to do. <laughs> there was a big synod in Rome during October. Do you, do you know what a synod is, Jelena? A meeting. Yeah, it's a meeting. It's a, it's a synod is a, a congregation of bishops. It's called by the Pope to discuss and decide on, on serious matters. And of course, they only mm. deal in serious matters, I guess. Of course, of course. <laughs> the matters of life and death. Yeah, yeah. It's very serious, some of the things they talk about. Anyway, uh, this was the third one called by Francis since mm-hmm. he became the Pope. And the theme this time was youth, faith and vocational discernment. Whatever that means, I'm not quite sure what that means. But the important part was the youth thing. And it involved 260 bishops or so. The idea and hope was that now uh, the Catholic Church would finally take a good look into how to prevent the abuse and to create real policies and guidelines on how to view and handle abuse 
of, of young people and children, right? Because it was about youth. And actually, I must admit, for a while it looked almost promising. Mm-hmm. Don't get your hopes up. I, I, I feel there's a bat coming. <laughs> there is. The synod took place uh, between the 3rd and 28th of October. And on the 24th of October, it seemed to confirm that the phrase zero tolerance was going to be included in the end document. Zero tolerance against abuse. Mm-hmm. And that would have been good, actually. Uh, we like that. I like that. Mm. The reason we think we thought that it would be included was that there was a draft made public uh, with a list of seven kinds of abuses, and the church would should have quote unquote zero tolerance against those. However, when the final document came four days later, that had all been replaced by sh- three short paragraphs and no mention of this zero tolerance. So what what happened? The Pope hasn't talked about this uh, publicly, but there was a justification explained by uh, a Mexican cardinal called Carlos Aguiar Retes, or something like that. He said that this was due to, one, that the synod was about young adults, which by the Catholic Church is defined as between 18 and 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they they found that out, you know, in the last couple of days. It wasn't about children after all. It was only about young adults. And two, the document is also about other abuse than sexual abuse and quote, zero, and this is what he said, Cardinal Carlos Aguiarretes, he said, zero tolerance doesn't apply to all of them. For fuck's sake. Does that mean, but what does he mean, really? Some kind of abuse is okay, a little bit, sometimes, a while. In, 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 <laughs> I, I, I don't have words, as you hear. S- somehow open to interpretation, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So suddenly, after discussing this for three weeks, they suddenly decide, no, it's not about children at all. It's about 18 to 30 years old. And those, you know, you can abuse them a little. That's okay. So you can't put zero tolerance in the document. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. To be fair to Pope Francis, mm-hmm. it seems that he himself has tried to push for the zero tolerance phrase in, also before the synod. But that only goes to show that how deeply invested the, the church is. Even Francis doesn't seem to be able to move the needle mm. uh, the way. So now the next step mm. in this uh, is that there will be another kind of meeting in February. That's not a synod. That's some other form of meeting. I'll get back to that eventually, I think, uh, to talk about abuse and how to get uh, you know their head around that, I guess. So the circus continues and we continue to do our poking. I mean, I don't know what what will will it take for to dismantle this um, institution. <laughs> they still have quite a lot of money and power, and that's where the problem is. Yeah, I, I, know, I know dismantling the Catholic Church. It may be hoping for too much, but you know they could at least get their act together and and make sure that they're not causing actively harm yeah. towards people. Yeah. Right. But in the meanwhile, um, as was reported all over the place last week, the bones of what could be one of two 15-year-old girls that went missing in 1983 were recently found when... I shouldn't laugh at this, but they, but you can't help it. Uh, they were recently found when renovating the Vatican Embassy in Rome. Wow. Okay. Well, 
Nothing surprises me anymore mm, when no, it comes to no, the Catholic Church. No, no, can't say that I am surprised either, yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is that it seems the speculation seems to be all about was it one of those two 15-year-olds or is it something else? I mean, if it's not one of the uh, the two girls, you don't really want to have human remains hidden in embassies. That's just bad PR, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So it really, in it's a no, way, doesn't no matter. Brainer. Mm. Oh, fuck. All right. Well, here goes another week of poking. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be more to come. All right. So let's move on to our new segment now. And uh, I'll start, shall I? <laughs> yes. All right. I will be giving a shout out to the Good Thinking Society again, who are Yoo-hoo! doing amazing work. As they are. As per usual. And there, there was an article pu- published in, in, in the Times uh, recently where they were talking about that um, Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle brand Goop has been reported to British regulators over 113 alleged breaches of UK advertising law. So the Good Thinking Society, a charity that promotes scientific thinking, has accused the Oscar-winning actress of presiding over a company that issues potentially dangerous advice related to unproven health products. The Good Thinking Society submitted its finding to National Trading Standards and the Advertising Standards Authority uh, last week. So this article um, has been published on October 28th, so it's literally just happened. In the documents, the charity highlights Goop products that experts warn could endanger the public. In fact, Goop was forced to pay $145,000 fine to regulatory authorities in California last month because of unproven health claims, and they still keep going. I think it'll take them more. It'll take more than 145k. That's uh, before peanuts, they, really. Yeah, before they stop. So they're selling something called Goop's the Motherload for 88 pounds, and it's a top of the line, apparently advertised as top of the line natal protocol that is marketed towards UK customers. Um, specifically for women who are pregnant or planning to get pregnant. And this product states that it contains 110% of the recommended daily value of vitamin A for adults. Um, However, the NHS and uh, the WHO organization both warn pregnant women not to take supplements containing vitamin A because of the potential risk to an unborn baby. So it's absolutely ridiculous that they're marketing this product. And um, so that's just one of the examples of of the dangerous pro- products. Another one they've used is the advertised sun protection product costing up to £45 each um, alongside uh, statements that appear to undermine traditional sun protection cream. And the site states, in fact, there is little evidence to support the many claims that sunscreen helps prevent cancer. However, we know very well, and and, um, it's been stated by the British Association of Dermatologists, sunscreen with a high SPF will help block UVB rays and prevent the skin from burning and, by extension, damage that can cause skin cancer. Yeah. I mean, none of this comes as a surprise to to me personally. The hope, I'm guessing, is to stop the product sales in, in England. But really, there is a much bigger... A problem that, that, that they should be stopped from distributing these um, questionable yeah. t- remedies, I, I want to say, because they're not really med- medications or uh, or supplements. So yes, hopefully the, the, they this will get um, this article will be uh, a good start. Yeah. Soon enough, maybe we'll be talking about how they're no longer distributing any of the 
<laughs> Marsh being Michael Marshall of the Good Thinking Society, of course. Yeah. All right, over to European, some European news. There is a report out uh, from EU, and I was so happy to see it being published. It's about anti-vaccination sentiments across Europe, and I have, I guess we all have, for a long time, wanted for someone to look into how bad it is, the anti-vaccination movement in, in, in Europe, and, and to compare that with vaccination rates and measles cases and all that. And now that it's all been done, hallelujah, it unfortunately seems to have serious problems, the, the report has. Uh, and to be honest, I don't know how much we can trust it, which is a serious bummer, but I'll, I'll talk you through it. The report is commissioned by the EU and it was conducted by the London, London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Tropical medicine, that, that, that sounds exciting. But anyway, the report looks into the confidence in vaccines in the European Union countries. Uh, you know, like if people uh, think vaccines are important, are they safe, etc. And it talks about, you know, answer separately for influenza, the MMR vaccine, which is the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine. Interestingly for me as well, I noticed that they look into the public's view separately from the view of uh, GPs uh, for the medical doctors. And that difference is interesting because some studies have indicated in the past that the position of, of GPs are highly correlated with vaccination rates. So if, if you have doctors that really believe in vaccines, that actually pushes the vaccination rates maybe even more than what the public, the general public thinks. So what did the study show? Well, it showed in general that uh, confidence in vaccinations is worse in Bulgaria, Latvia, sorry, uh, Jelena, yes, and France. Uh, it's highest in Portugal, Denmark in, and Spain. There's a lot of statistics in this report, which is 77 pages long. And we will link to it, of course. But I won't go into all of that because, unfortunately, I have serious questions about how well the study was made. I have one tangible example only, but there might be other problems if, if they did it the same way in all the countries. Mm. In Sweden, the report says that the Swedish public had the lowest confidence in the MMR vaccine in all of Europe. That seems very strange to me. This is not a personal <laughs> patriotic stance I have but it seems very strange that Sweden would be the lo the lowest when it comes to MMR vaccine because we actually in Sweden have the highest well one of the highest vaccination rates about 96% coverage but the confidence in the MMR vaccine according to report is just above uh, 50% so what is going on here can it really be the case now that Swedes voluntarily inject their children with a substance that they only that only just 56% of them feel is safe. And, and also you should remember MMR vaccination isn't, is not mandatory in Sweden. So it's not that it's compulsory. Well, uh, there's somebody else looked into this. Uh, and it turns out there's a survey when it comes to Sweden was seriously flawed and will have to be redone altogether. 
because the survey in the study asked about confidence in the MMR vaccine, but that's not what we call the MMR vaccine in Swedish. We don't call it the MMR vaccine, we call it the MPR vaccine, based on the Swedish names for these diseases. But apparently the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine may have used Google Translate or something because they put MMR into the, the, the survey. And of course, people didn't have confidence in that because they didn't know what it was. So this is all a big mess at the moment. And the result of the first study now risks getting everybody confused, I believe. And unfortunately to me, I think it removes my confidence in, in the study altogether. Who knows what other blunders they made in other countries? So it was a nice try by the EU, and I really, really want to see the true numbers of this. But uh, because we want to know how much, how successful uh, the the anti-vaccination movement is in Europe, but this does this report doesn't do it for me. Mm. And in the meanwhile, uh, measles is still rampant in uh, Europe, Ukraine, which is of course not part of EU, but still sees more than five hundred new cases per week still. And uh, this is mostly in children. Mm. Uh, and even even close to where I live, just a couple of kilometers from where I live, there were two cases last week. Mm. So Scary. we haven't seen the last of this. Yeah. So let's talk about organic food, shall we? Mm -hmm. There was uh, a recent study done on 70,000 French adults. This study excited many people and it claims that eating organic prevents cancer. But don't mm -hmm. don't be fooled. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the research uh, researchers asked a group of seventy thousand people what they ate, and then followed them up a number of years later. They then grouped people together according to how much organic food they ate, and compared the risk of getting cancer across groups. Uh, they found that people who scored highest on the organic food eating scale, after controlling for potential confounding variables, were also less likely to get cancer. There were also protective um, effects on some specific cancers, postmenopausal breast and lymphoma, although this was not true for prostate, colorectal skin, or premenopausal breast cancer. But overall, organic stopped people getting cancer. Good news for organic eaters, surely? Sadly, that's not the end of the story, hmm. because it never is, really. There were a lot of major issues with the study and limitations. The measure of organic food intake, for example, wasn't great, as it was based on a very simplistic questionnaire. This makes it very hard to know if this study accurately represents the intake of organic food, uh, particularly as it directly contradicts uh, some other research uh, that is published out there. People who ate organic foods were much healthier than those who didn't, so the group with the highest organic food intake scored better on every other measure of health, like smoking, weight, heart disease, drinking, than mm. those who ate the least, making residual confounding much more likely. Yeah, if, if you don't smoke, maybe that's why you're Correct. not getting yeah. sick. Yeah, yeah. The study is hard to generalize as the uh, participants were mostly affluent French women who aren't mm -hmm. really representative of the whole world in general. Not, not really now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, the, and the absolute risk difference was very small. While those who ate the most organics were 25% less likely to get cancer, this actually equates to an absolute risk reduction of only about half a percent. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. So ca that's because a, cancer yeah. is relatively rare, and you want to know about relative risk versus I do. absolute risk. But it's very easy to get it confused. Yes. If you reduce it from, like, yes. what was it, 2% to 1.5%, to you, you do the numbers for from, me. But uh, yeah. 
from yeah. one from three percent to one and a half, it's not a fifty, but yeah, 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 okay. But that's the that's the point. And apparently, the results did not hold true for men, younger adults, and less educated people, uh, as well as people who never smoked or smoke currently, or and this is an important one: those with a high overall dietary quality. Which brings us to the really interesting question: What does the study mean? Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always hard to tell uh, what scientific studies actually mean to the lay person like you and me, because they're obviously not, not written with us in mind. However, this study, even ig ignoring many limitations that I've just mentioned, basically states that uh, eating organic and, and paying an enormous amount of money for it because organic food is so much more expensive to potentially reduce your risk of cancer by less than 1% is a bit of a, I don't know if it's a worth taking risk. You would get much more uh, out of the exercising, let's say, for example, 30 minutes more a week or cutting back, back on booze or cutting smoking than by doubling the cost of your weekly shop. Yeah, and that's assuming that it is because of the uh, organic food, which you just said it yeah. may not be. It, yeah. it may be other fa factors. Yeah, and and so and so actually, by taking all these limitations into the account, it's hard to take anything out of the study at all. If you are if you are a male, well educated, or don't smoke, there is no reason for you to eat organic based in uh, on this study at all. In Thank fact, you. I won't. Yeah, in fact, the main group <laughs> that eat, that uh, eating organic seemed to help was. Postmenopausal French women. <laughs> if I become one, and, I will take it under advisement. I know, and why? And <laughs> and even though this is still an interesting finding, it limits the applicability of the study to many people's lives. Yeah, uh, I mean, no offense to postmenopausal French women. But it also women. sounds sounds to me like cherry picking. You could always find one group Correct. that it where it happens to be just by chance. Yeah. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to know why they they were affected. You know, maybe maybe there is a trend, but a but, different kind of trend. But it could just be a, a blip in the data. Yeah. Well, you, you, the harder you look, you can find you know, yeah. by yeah. just by chance. Forty-five-year-old yeah. women living in Paris happened to be a small group of the total group, and then it made a difference there. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So there we go. This is just um, another one of those um, studies that made it into one of the big newspapers in in UK, and we wanted to bring it to your attention quickly um, in case you were not sure about organic food. It's a very contentious contentious issue, but um, it's out there. I think we we will link to the article and uh, it will link to the study for people to look at. Yeah. All right. Speaking of confusing scientific papers, <laughs> I have another one for you. Statistics is hard. You may have seen that uh, in the papers that uh, humans have wiped out 60% of all animals. There was something to that effect during this week. But this illustrates the point of how important it is to, to be on your toes when you read scientific news. This is about a WWF study, the World Wildlife Fund uh, study, that came out uh, reporting how we humans have pushed 60% of wildlife populations out of existence. That's how it was reported anyway. First of all, it concerned only vertebrates, and uh, The Guardian tweeted, Humanity has wiped out 60% of animals since 1970. But the reports showed nothing of the kind. There is a good article in The Atlantic, which we will link to, that sorts this out very well. But the WWF studied almost 17,000 populations across 
4,000 species of mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and fish. And that sounds like a lot. Uh, a population in this context means a well, it could be a specific location. So that's why there are more populations than there are species, right? Mm. First of all, if you take all take that, it only covers about 6% of all species that we believe exist in the ver- uh, vertebrate species. Second of all, what they found was that the populations had declined by 60% on average. And this is where the misunderstanding starts. Uh, and I see, for one thing, I saw people in my social media circles who, who thought, first of all, that it meant 60% of the species had been dis- had disappeared. And that was clearly wrong. That Not even the Guardian said that. The 60% contained the number of animals, not the number of species. But it didn't mean the total number of animals. It meant 60% on average per population. The Atlantic uh, had a good example of this. If Let's say we have uh, 5,000 lions in one population, we have f- 500 tigers in another one, and then we have 50 bears, right? Let's say we then later have 4,500 lions, as that's the decrease by 500, uh, 100 tigers, that's the decrease of 400 tigers, and only five bears, so... Sorry for the bears, they, they got really beating. That <laughs> meant, uh, this means a decline of 10% of the lions, 80% of the tigers, and 90% of the bears. That's, that, uh, not the bears, the bears, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> which is an average of 60%, mm. which was the study. But if you look at the number of animals, they've only declined by 17%. From 5,550 to 4,606, if we count all the lions, all the tigers, and all the bears. So that that's just one way that you can misunderstand a study. So so look at the article in uh, the Atlantic if you're interested, because they they explain it very well. It, it's you really understand it when you look, read that. And but then again, to make it more complex, does that mean that this study we should just ignore it? Of course not. The news are bad, for real, but it's not as bad as it may seem when you we hear the, the number 60% of all animals has disappeared. That's not what it said, but it's still bad. And we are still, as a human race, we are uh, threatening a lot of, of populations and, and animals. And we need to, to uh, be aware of that and we need to f- try to fix that. Mm. But I need to bring it up anyway, as you know, as we as skeptics, we need to highlight when people misunderstand studies and misunderstand the news, because it's hard. Uh, Statistics is hard. Science is hard. And you have to put your brain into it before you really understand what's going on Uh, or read somebody else who did the work for you. So the news are bad about animals, but not as it was reported and it should be understood correctly. Yeah. We're going to move to Spain now. With nothing to do with previous statements of bears and how we're destroying population of animals. But it has everything to do with the war on homeopathy. Yay! Mm-hmm. But um, so Spain's health ministry has blacklisted thousands of alternative medicine products in a bid to crack down on the phony ailments and health treatments uh, it considers to have no scientific basis. 
So if you are a big fan of homeopathic treatments, Spain is no longer the place with the biggest range of remedies that can be bought over the counter. Brilliant. The country's Ministry of Health has released a list of only 2008 homeopathic products whose manufacturers will have to apply for an official government license if they wish to continue selling them. And they have until April 2019 to prove that their remedies actually work. I wow. think I think they might them find themselves in a bit of a pickle, and this hopefully this action will slash homeopathic product in Spain to the bare minimum. Wow, the that's rest fantastic. The rest of the more than twelve thousand homeopathic meds uh, circulating around Spain for the past few years will no longer have the right to be sold in Spain, nor the right to apply for the license. Brilliant news! It's the latest blow for Spain's homeopathy industry once worth an estimate of 100 million euros, but which has wow. seen a drop in public trust and therefore sales of around 30% in the last five years. So it's the education must be working then, yeah. presumably, yeah. That's a lot of sugar pills as well. <laughs> Woo. It's expensive sugar. Considered yeah. by most scientists and medical professionals as a pseudoscience, uh, homeopathy is an alternative medicine dating back to 1796 which claims that what causes the symptoms of the disease is health in healthy people can cure similar symptoms in ill people i.e. if you feel tired drink coffee ha <laughs> ha to help you to help you sleep better <laughs> yeah crazy anyways super happy about this development in spain well done hmm? excellent excellent brilliant wow something tells me tells me that those 2000 medis- uh, medications will also be prohibited in 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 next april so watch the space yeah yeah so i think that's all the the news we have really from around europe yeah uh, uh, or or do you have something else i have just one more quick thing to note and it's that retractionwatch.com website um ha- has officially launched their database today hooray and people could uh, search more than eighteen thousand retractions in that yeah. database great stuff because we do need to bear those in mind. Yeah, Retraction Watch uh, website has is a great thing, and we've we've been using that for for m- many years actually. Looking into it, it, it documents the, all the scientific reports that are retracted because of uh, there's problems with it. If yeah, you find that it was either fraudulent or yeah. just wrong. And now they open their database to the public so everybody can see not just, yeah. you know, a list of what's been retracted, but also statistics behind it, which countries and, and stuff. It's really good. And if you find retraction that's not yet in that database, you can actually get get in touch and uh, oh, submit okay. submit the study and then they'll add it onto the database. Yeah. And they're really performing something... Uh, Unique, because there are, of course, if you go to PubMed and and other websites like that, there are information about retracted uh, uh, studies, but Mm -hmm. they are not complete. Uh, Not as complete uh, as uh, the Retraction Watch website is. They are really doing a great job. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Happy days. Okie dokie. All right, then. So I believe that's it. Mm -hmm. Good. I think uh, we've only got really wrong to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> the proper one this time. Okay, so uh, this is a short one, this one, uh, but it's uh, important, I think. It's from Sweden. UMO is a public organization who's conducting 
public information campaigns towards young people in Sweden. And they do, do good work. They are not uh, the subject of the really wrong. They recently prepared a campaign to promote the use of condoms, which, of course, is a good thing. The campaign would have included a demonstration video of how to use a condom by showing how... Well, it was a video with two hands putting a condom onto a dildo to explain how it's done, really. And, you know, if you're 15, 16, 17, that's pretty good news. Uh, good, <laughs> good news. It's pretty good uh, information to have how to how that works. But now that video and the campaign has had to be withdrawn because Facebook, Instagram and Snapchat all stopped it due to it was too explicit for their platforms. Oh, dear. Yeah. And YouTube chimed in as well and put an 18-year age limit on the whole thing. So apparently informing teenagers about sex is not something that social media thinks safe, we should do. Safe no. sex. Yeah. Safe sex. Yeah, exactly. Better let the youngsters either figure it out themselves or get pregnant or catch diseases before they grow up. Really, really stupid. Very. And yet it's okay to post pictures of your almost naked bum and boobs. Exactly. As long as you cover the actual nipple, then you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. So remember that, people. Cover the nipple. Not with a condom, because that may backfire. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and that's so silly. And it's just, I think, you know, they have these rules for reasons. Good, bad reasons, blah, blah, blah. But they're so inflexible. They cannot handle things that are a little bit out of the ordinary. They don't want sex on Facebook. Okay, fine. They, that's their choice but this is not about sex this is about educating people to to this is about this is health this is young people's health we're talking about mm. and it should not be stopped because of you know backwards rules that they cannot uh, uh, handle really so for stopping this very important sex ed campaign by having idiotic rules all these social media giants like facebook instagram snapchat and youtube get today's prize for being really wrong. Thanks, Pontus, for that. And I think that's that's the end of that, really, uh, mm -hmm. th that episode. Um, it's gone th by quite quickly. <laughs> um, I think there was only a couple of things uh, we wanted to mention. One mm -hmm. of them was that next week, uh, on uh, November the 10th, there will be a Ratio conference in Sofia, Gosh, I can't believe it's been already a year since me and Pontus attended last year and uh, yeah. been on a panel there, which we had a great time. We had a great time. It was good. Very and, good. And um, I cannot recommend this conference enough. They've got a variety of speakers. Uh, some of them, oh, I think I'd say most of them will be talking in, in English. Um, last time, all of them were talking in English, so we could, mm -hmm. we, we mm -hmm. could understand everything. And uh, we looked, we'll look them up and they look very interesting. Yeah. So if so, you are passing by and Sofia is a lovely city to explore, yours. please do so and support our friends um, in Bulgaria. Yeah, right. I will not be able to make it because um, on the day before I have... No, well, not that because of that, unfortunately. I, I would love to go to Sofia, but, you know, uh, practical things get in the way. But I will have fun on the Friday, the 9th of November, because we will have a skeptics in the pub here in Malmö that I have uh, organized together with the local group here. Uh, we've invited down a, 
medical and science reporter from one of the two big uh, newspapers, uh, national newspapers. She normally works in Stockholm, of course, but we paid for the trip down here. She will talk about uh, fake news and uh, what to uh, believe in in the media, and it'll be very fun. So if you're in Malmö on, on Friday the 9th, uh, please stop by and uh, say hello and listen to that. Yeah, indeed. And uh, in general, if you have uh, anything you want to share with us, news, uh, opinions, um, just uh, get in touch with a yeah. very approachable bunch. Our email address is info at theesp.eu. Uh, you can go on uh, Facebook and follow us there, send us direct message or uh on Twitter, uh, you can follow us there as well. Our Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu. And uh, go to our website, which is theesp.eu. Yeah, where, of course, you will find everything about what's going on in Europe, as you know by now. We have this event events in Europe page mm-hmm. where we have a calendar where everything is there, the ratio thing, the skeptics in the pub in Malmo, but a lot of other stuff as well. I'm normal, Typically, it's 15, maybe 20 things happening in Europe every week, and you can go and see there. You know, as I say sometimes, we don't expect you to go there and say, okay, maybe I should pop down to to uh, Sofia ne- next week. It's not why we do it, but it's just to to show, get visibility on all the good things that are happening mm-hmm. and go there and let yourself mm-hmm. be um, uh, inspired to maybe do something in your local mm-hmm. town or invite people yeah. that you see are giving talks in other places. Many of them are willing to travel. So do that. Or you don't have to have a famous speaker, of course, in your Skeptics in the Bell. Just invite a couple of your friends and get the things going. I think that's how, that's how we started here in in Malmö. And I think that's how most Skeptics in the pub actually started. Mm. Uh, if you really like what we're doing uh, in the, the ESP, you could also go to patreon.com slash the ESP and pledge to give us a dollar or two or five per episode. We really appreciate the the patrons that we have. Uh, we would really appreciate it if they became a little more of them. So uh, we could uh, continue to do this. So thank you very much. Thanks so much. And thanks, Pontus. It's been fun as always. And uh, we will reconvene next week. Yes, I think it's time for an interview. We have something cooking but it's not been dis- decided yet, so we'll uh, we'll get back to you on that. All right. Um, see you next week, and paka paka. Cheers. Bye bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. 
please check out our webpage at www.theesb.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. I don't know how to do uh, segways segue. segue as good as yours, actually. <laughs> We're going to move to Spain now. Good segue. <laughs> oh, by the way, I was listening to the show on 1.7 speed. Uh, and when when there was this, in, you know, to change between the segments, it was hilarious. Brilliant. <laughs>